Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 655 with Brent Franson. Brent has got so much good stuff to share in terms of his life story and his insights and his app most days that I just love. I find it personally resonant in terms of people teaming up, coming together to change behavior in good, positive ways. I dug it so much, I made my own routine on the app. You can join the community. Check it out at awesomeatyourjob.com slash most days, and that'll get you plugged into that. So you're going to learn, one, how Brent leveraged technology to break his bad habits, two, the keystone habit of behavioral change, and three, how to stay motivated even when you fail. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, check out awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP655. And if you want this wisdom all the faster, check out the gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com, which provides summary wisdom write-ups from Brent and all the guests who have come before him. In a quick email, you can read in about two or three minutes on the day of release, as well as access to the vault of the historical goodies, which is called, again, the gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here's Brent's story. Brent Franson is the founder and CEO of Most Days, an app backed by science built to help you understand what you need to do to improve your life and achieve change. Previously, he was on the founding team of Reputation.com, the worldwide leader in online reputation management. Reputation.com was named a technology pioneer by the World Economic Forum. Brent was also the CEO of Euclid Analytics, a leader in retail data and analytics. Under his leadership, Euclid was acquired by WeWork in 2019. Brent has been named a LinkedIn top voice and has regularly contributed to Forbes, LinkedIn, Inc., Entrepreneur, and other publications. Brent is a father and an athlete who enjoys his routine, reading, running, skiing, skydiving, and anything that involves pushing his own boundaries. Big thanks to Brent for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Brent. Brent, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Pete. Well, I am eager to dig into your wisdom, and you have an interesting backstory that kind of informs, inspires, motivates the work you're currently doing with your app most days. Can you share it with us? Yeah, certainly. So I'm from Boulder, Colorado. I'm the oldest of four. We're all within five years. And Boulder was this very fertile ground for me when I was young. I was most likely to succeed in eighth grade, and I was the winter ball kings, kind of lame suburban accolades. And then my sophomore year in high school, my parents got divorced, and they were both very distracted with that. And so, you know, there are going to be multiple versions of a, of a story like this. But basically what happened was 
I started rebelling and a lot of the parental supervision just just changed pretty dramatically. And what happened was, is all of the kids in our friend group and in the neighborhood who had similar issues, had things going on at home, had parents weren't who weren't around as much, they ended up spending a lot of time in the home. Some of them actually moved into the home full time. And so it turned into a little bit of a of a Lord of the Flies situation where everybody was everybody was fending for themselves. And you know, I wish I could say it turned out well. It didn't. I mean, it, it ultimately has a good story, but I rebelled in a very, very aggressive way. I ended up being kicked out of the public high school that I was going to in Boulder. I was sent on court mandate, basically, to a to a boarding school in New Hampshire. My parents had said, hey, if we if he gets sent away somewhere where where he can kind of get better in dealing with the things, dealing with the acting out. So I went to a, this tiny boarding school in central New Hampshire. I was kicked out of that boarding school during my what was effectively my second senior year. So I was I was forced to repeat. And in that group and in my family and kind of as for many of us, um, what happened around us was there was a lot of there was a lot of coping with the situation, coping with the changing environment. And so I've seen a lot of addiction and addiction of of all kinds. I've dealt with, I, I don't identify as an addict, but I've dealt with a lot of kind of unhealthy habits that have hurt my life at various points. And then also in being surrounded in a bunch of different ways by by addiction, I've seen the flip side of it. I've seen, you know, I have a lot of people around me who have many years or a decade or more of sobriety. And what this whole story and what, what this whole set of experiences really taught me was the power of behavior change. I really became familiar with the behavior change frameworks and addiction. You know, addictions are really interesting because the negative consequences of addiction are caused by repeating an unhealthy behavior over and over again. And then the cure, and cure is the wrong word, but the way out of addiction is to change that behavior. So there are some pills, but it's largely not you know, you don't take a prescription for it. It's not a surgery. You've got to change the way that you li- you're living your life. You've got to change the way that you're coping. You've got to stop repeating that behavior over and over again. And so this set of experiences has led me to the business that I'm running today. But more importantly, I think being really focused on understanding how can behavior, how can the things that we do most days are they're very you know there are a lot of things that it's hard to do every day how are the things that we're doing most days how can those improve the quality of our lives the length of our lives and then kind of coming off of the back of an experience in which you see how much it can you know doing the wrong things every day can really hurt your life well so that's an interesting sort of backdrop starting point and and i want to zoom in a bit on so in between then and now you've had some pretty stellar successes in terms of, you know, software business leadership and, and exits and, and all that sort of thing. You're really making it happen in the business world. Uh, in terms that you were most likely to succeed, the prophecy uh, proved true in terms of you've, you've had a great deal of success. So can, can you share where and when and how did you get yourself into a behavioral groove that was really supporting you and such that you were starting to see some really great results in terms of your behaviors and the results that uh, that flowed from them. 
I think it, it took me a long time. I mean, really, the reality of what happened was I, I was a very heavy pot smoker in high school and early in my 20s. I'm, I'm 38 now. And in 2004, I went to rehab. I spent 30 days in a, in a rehab for just trying to stop smoking marijuana. And the 30 days in rehab was really good for me because I, I just struggled to stop on my own. and. I completely stopped. I learned a bunch of skills at this rehab in Arizona. And then I, I completely changed my scenery. So I had actually started a company when I was in high school and it's still operating today. But I was back in Colorado after I dropped out of college and I was running this business and my environment really wasn't working for me. And so I moved to Palo Alto in 2004, 2005, which is a very good time to move to the, at that time, the epicenter of Silicon Valley was really was Palo Alto. And so things really turned for me then. I, this habit that was really plaguing me, I shed that. I still dealt with some substance dependencies after that. So that wasn't completely the end of it. And then I just pulled myself out of an environment that wasn't working for me. And I plugged myself right into the middle of basically the best place you could be as a young, aspiring entrepreneur in technology, which was, which was Palo Alto in, in 2005. So that was, that was the turning point for, for my kind of dark period from maybe 15 to 23 to it's been quite a different story since I made that move. And so tell us about the Google Sheets and the the behaviors and the habits that you were, were cultivating and how did that take root? Yeah. So what ended up happening was I picked up a bunch of habits for coping with things, for figuring out how to sleep, for just dealing generally with emotions during this during this tough period of my adolescence. And it became very clear to me that if I did a certain set of things most days that I was in a good place. I was in a I was in a good headspace and if I didn't do those things, I wasn't. And the tipping point for me on really building a system around this was I was the CEO of this venture back company that I didn't found called Euclid and it was a stressful role and I was having trouble sleeping. And so I started taking Klonopin, which is a for anxiety. It's a benzo. It's a very, very addictive, but I was taking it just for a short period of time. It's often prescribed similar to Xanax for short periods of time for anxiety. And I realized it was hard for me to get off of it. It, it became very difficult to sleep without taking this Klonopin. It was very difficult to do. I lost a bunch of weight. I was, I was really anxious. I couldn't sleep. And my doctor didn't really have any good advice for me. And so I spent a lot of time researching and figuring out, hey, how do you know, I've, I've seen this in my family. I dealt with it early in my 20s. I thought, hey, I don't want to be dependent on a benzo like Klonopin. And so I found this thing called the Ashton Manual, which is a, Dr. Heather Ashton's a pharmacologist in the UK who ran these benzo withdrawal clinics in the mid 90s. And to get off of benzos, what you need to do is you taper off as you do many of these. So you you reduce the amount that you're taking very slowly. But this one, particularly in the Asham Manual, says, okay, start as you dial down the Klonopin, increase something called volume, and then you'll be off the Klonopin, but you're on a higher dose of volume. And then you come off of the volume, and then you drop off the volume, and you're off of both of them. And that is the smoothest way, basically, to get off of something that that is hard to quit. And that required this very 
strict daily regimen of, okay, here's the amount I'm taking of the Klonopin and the volume, and it's all over a six-week period. So I built this spreadsheet and started tracking what I was doing there. And in addition to that, I started tracking meditating, working out, sleeping, and eventually the system got really crazy. I mean, today I track 45 different things that I do each day and have been for six years now. 45. That's wild. And so then can you share, you know, what are maybe just a few of the behaviors that uh, that make a world of difference and that uh, are, are extra leveraged? Well, I think getting the basics right. So basically, like the primary categories are going to be, you know, what we would all know these categories, sleep, diet, exercise, community and mindfulness. I think one thing that's been key for me and, I, you know, I don't know how true this is in other circles and in the technology community for a long time, like bragging about how little you sleep was some rite of passage. It's like, oh yeah, man, hustle. Yeah, I sleep five (laughs) hours. Oh, I only sleep four hours. And, you know, Bezos is very famous for, he credits, hey, he sleeps eight hours Mm -hmm. every night. And that's a big part of his ability to be productive. And so I think over time you realize, okay, there are these five categories of things that I need to be focusing on and investing my time in. And you realize which ones are are more foundational. If I sleep well, basically I have more willpower. I'm more likely to exercise. I'm more likely to meditate. I'm more likely to engage in productive relationships with my family. I'm less likely to create friction in my relationships, with which eats up time and creates frustration. If I have even a small amount of alcohol, it's likely to impact my sleep, which impacts the willpower and and the cycle continues. And so I think, you know, there's all of the basics in terms of those five categories. And then there are some things I think that are that are less obvious. I mean, I every day I have a voice memo that I've recorded. So I record a new one, maybe four to six weeks or something. And it's four or five affirmations that I say to myself. So things that I'm trying to work on, things that are that are getting me. So I tend to be somebody who wants to please people. And so one of the affirmations is you, know, you don't need to rescue people. You don't always need to say yes. And so I record myself saying these things. And then there's a pause in between each statement that allows me to say the statement out loud after I hear it. Mm-hmm. And I do that four times in a row. And that's remarkably effective at stomping out those patterns. You end up refreshing those voice memos every every four to six weeks because you're realizing, oh, I'm not I'm not engaging in the rescuing mm-hmm. thing that I didn't need to be doing or or whatever it might be. So a lot of them are really standard, and then there are there are some random ones like that. Oh, that's beautiful in terms of like sometimes that's how progress feels in terms of it's not like a sweet victory, but it's like, oh, I guess this isn't really necessary anymore. Cool. (laughs) It is just sort of like a quiet victory that that happens just like that, but it's something worthy of celebration nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, I think generally for me, one of the the key insights, and this is something they talk a lot about in addiction, is in addiction, they say progress, not perfection, one day at a time. And so if you're trying to to change something about your life, if you're trying to adopt a new behavior, you're trying to lose weight, you're trying to drink less, whatever it might be, trying to get up early and work out, self-compassion is really important. And the real change comes just a little bit at a time, and that compounds day over day. And so one of the things that was helpful for me in the pot habit, or I was a cigarette smoker in my early 20s, is this notion of, you know, don't quit quitting. And so 
you're going to fail if you're trying to get up early and work out. You're not normally somebody who works out early or you're trying to quit smoking cigarettes or whatever it is. You're not going to succeed right away. And often we fail at the thing. We don't get up on the morning. We beat ourselves up. There's a bad feeling associated with that. And then we, we dismiss it and we don't continue. And I think actually the skill you want to cultivate is this, hey, it's okay. Tomorrow's a new day. I didn't get up early this morning. That's fine. Don't beat yourself up for it and see if you get there tomorrow. And if you go from not doing it at all to doing it once a week, and then you're doing it twice a week. And if in a year or two years, you now work out in the morning four days a week, you know who cares that that the ramp was slow? And so I think don't quit quitting. And so it's it's more about getting back on the horse than it is how many times you fall off. Get good at just getting back on and not beating yourself up. And then the second, which I think is related, is focus on consistency over intensity. So if you are somebody who doesn't run and you want to start running, if you walk out the door with your running shoes on, count it. If you go around the block, count it. And what's going to happen is if you're if you're able to go around the block and, and you weren't doing this at all before, and now you're doing it two times a week, three times a week, you're going to start going two blocks. You're going to start going three blocks. The length is going to come over time. The consistency is the hardest piece. And this is what we know about habits. I mean, really, a habit is, is kind of defined as something that you do subconsciously that's just automatic and you're not thinking about it when you do it. So when we try to adopt new habits, they're hard because you've got to proactively think about them. And so if you build it in and you're doing it consistently, even at a low intensity, the intensity will grow over time. It'll become more more and more automatic. Oh, that's great. Well, and when you talk about the self-compassion, I, I think that's one thing. As soon as I saw your email and it was called your app is called Most Days, I was like, that's the perfect name. So so what is the big idea behind Most Days? We're building a platform that um, where we're trying to take everything that we know about behavior change and put it into one place. And so there's two primary pieces. So no matter what you're struggling with, and something like 97% of people, you know, have at least one health ailment. We're all, we're all we all we all kind of have something, and so no matter what it is, there's a set of things that you can be doing most days to improve the quality or length of your life. And so, at most days, you can either create a routine or you can subscribe to an existing routine. So we have routines for anxiety, depression, OCD, relationship, loneliness, stress and burnout, a whole bunch of different categories that are written by psychologists and neuroscientists, primarily from schools here in California, from Berkeley and UCLA and Stanford. So it's a set of things you can do most days that are rooted in science to improve the quality of your life. Or you can just create your own. Like my routine is... I've got four or five routines on most days. I'm a father. I've got a parenting routine. I've just created them from scratch. I've been hacking on myself for trying to <laughs> trying to improve myself for the last 20 years. That's then nested within a social network. And so each day you mark yes or not today. We got feedback from our members that they didn't they didn't feel good about saying no. And so we say mm -hmm. not today, which I think is great. And then your yes responses are posted to a feed of people who follow you. So you can you can be in single player mode. You can follow other members of our community. You can invite a sibling or, or whatever. But it's creating this peer-to-peer -peer accountability. And we're trying to drive the shame out of the product. So celebrate the wins. Let's not shame anybody for the things that they're not doing. And then tomorrow's a new day. And if you if you have a down day, you can you can improve the next day. And then 
The final piece of the platform is just analytics to understand progress over time. So one of the things we ask you each day is kind of one to 10, how are you feeling? And so that gives us the ability to understand what are the habits, what are the inputs, what are the things you're, where are you investing in your own, you know, happiness and quality of life? And then the output is like, oh, okay, is it working? And so the analytics allow you, okay, how are you doing on your habits? What percentage of time are you completing these? And then we can start to connect the dots and show you, okay, here are the habits that are most tightly correlated with high quality of life, et cetera. So you can start to get an understanding from the data of how those things are working. And this is all modeled, I mean, loosely off of what we see in addiction. And so if you walk into an AA meeting, there's going to be a plan. So you're going to, you know, there's 12 steps in AA. You're going to have a sponsor who's telling you to do a certain set of things. That's then nested within an environment that creates, that's safe and where you've got a lot of people who are on the same journey, who can share their experiences on the same journey, who can hold one another accountable. And then, and that would be the meetings. And then you've got an understanding of progress over time. Ask anybody who, you know, has, who is kind of really active in their sobriety and they'll tell you, you know, down to the day, how many days they've been sober. Even if they've been sober for 10 years, they'll often be able to tell you down to the day. And then they get little chips, you know, after 24 hours or, you know, 30 days or 30 years. And so we're really trying to take everything that we know about behavior change and, and put it into one place. We're early in our journey, but that's the basic thought behind what we're trying to build. Okay. Well, and, and it's cool. I mean, I've used it. I dig it. And so it's a beautiful thing. So, so thank you for putting that into the world. Well, so then let's, let's zoom in then in terms of when it comes to behavior change, uh, we have a couple principles in terms of, you know, self-compassion and having some, some support and accountability, having a clear plan and tracking it. Can you maybe bring this to life with uh, perhaps a couple case studies, stories, examples in terms of, all right, hey, someone's looking to do something. And here's what they did and how it worked. One of the common things that we talk about, and we're here, and so if we're if we're talking about New Year's resolutions, New Year's resolutions are interesting because they're an interesting example of this because we're starting with a goal and we're not thinking about the system. So I think the first piece to think about in behavior change is like, what's the system? How are you going to change the system of your life, the system of your behavior to support whatever the change is? And so I'll, I'll give you I'll give you some simple examples. Like for me, I had always heard this stat that you're supposed to brush your teeth two minutes twice a day. You're supposed to be brushing okay. your teeth for two minutes straight. And with a traditional toothbrush, for me personally, that was hard. I just get bored. I have, you know, I have a short attention span and I get, I just get bored after 30 or 40 seconds, if that. And so for me, and I've been doing this for a decade now, go buy a toothbrush with a timer and just walk around the house until the thing turns off. And so I've got a Sonicare, the thing just, it buzzes for two minutes and then it turns off. And you almost immediately go from, if you're tracking the, the data of this, brushing your teeth for 30 seconds to brushing your teeth for two minutes consistently. Another example of this is you know, addiction to the phone. I mean, one of the things that that I spend as much time as I can thinking about is how my present, you know, partner, how my present father, how my present sibling, et cetera. And the phone is 
just phones are, are just so, so crazy addictive. And so there's a product called the K-Safe, which you can put your phone in a little oh, yeah. like Tupperware container that has a lock with a timer that you can't disable. And so for me, you know, kind of fan, real the hardcore family time is, you know, 5.30 to 7.30. My daughter's four and a half. She goes, she kind of starts going to bed around 7.30. I put the phone in the safe. I can't access the phone. So I'm not sitting around drawing on willpower at the end of the day to not grab the thing. I can't unconsciously just pick it up and start looking at it. The thing is locked away. And I'm telling you, there's something, there's an, you know, as soon as it goes into that safe, that desire to look at it or the phantom buzzing that you can hear, all of that goes away because there's just not a choice the phone is locked away. And so I think, you know, another another one that people talk about is if you want to get up and work out in the morning, put all of the clothes out and put your shoes right outside of the bed, like lower all of the friction to walking out of the door. And so I think it's, and this is going to be different for everybody. There's no one size fits all, but I think it's about thinking, okay, what system can I put in place that's going to either make it easier for me not to do you know, whatever behavior I'm trying to, I'm trying to stop, or is going to make it easier for me, you know, to do the thing I'm trying to do more of or to start doing. Yeah. I like that a lot in terms of having a resolution alone isn't very actionable. I'm going to run a marathon this year. Oh, that's great. But, but you know, so, but you got to break that down into the particular behaviors of running and then think about your, your particular resistance or friction that, that's making it tough and and do what you can to to eliminate it. And, and so it's, it's really fun when there's a technology like a phone safe or, or like a automated toothbrush. And so what are some additional ways we could make it easier beyond buying things? And hey, buying things is fun. So we can talk about buying things too, but I'd love it to hear a few more in terms of like, well, there's indeed, there's not a, a technology that will just zap me with motivation juice. So what are some other ways to make things easier? Well, so I'll give you I'll give you a couple examples. So if you read any any book on behavior change or habit tracking, you'll see common techniques like habit stacking. And so, okay, what is something that you know you're automatically going to be doing and then attach something that you don't automatically do to that. So there's a there's a great book on this by a professor at Stanford named uh, Dr. B.J. Fogg, who the example he cites for him personally is he does a couple of push-ups after he, after he goes to the bathroom. So mm-hmm. he knows he's going to go to the bathroom regularly. That's not going to stop. He's trying to adopt the habit of, you know, strengthening his upper body. And so he stacks those habits together. And I'll give you for, from my own personal life is like, if I really go through the core parts of my routine, primarily my mindfulness and journaling routine. So so that that routine includes most days I'm trying to meditate. I listen to the voice memos. I try to spend 10 minutes learning something new. I journal. As part of the journal, I do a little gratitude practice. I read a little nonfiction. I try to read nonfiction and fiction each day. And that's it. So that if I just sat down and do all of those things, it's 30 or 40 minutes. And the key for me that's that's related to habit stacking is if I just get started. So I, sometimes I drag my feet. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it. I'll pick up the phone and I'm looking at Reddit or something or whatever we do and we distract ourselves and we procrastinate. 
But if I just get into that meditation, everything else is actually pretty automatic. It's very easy for me to roll out of the meditation into the next activity. It's rare that I would start that set of things and not finish it. The hardest part is getting myself started. And so I think either stacking a habit on top of something you automatically know you're going to do or finding a little bit of time and stacking those habits together. And then on the days when I just do the meditation, I just do one or two of the pieces, fine. You know, that's okay. I don't beat myself up. I've got the next day. So that's kind of grouping the habits together. The third thing I'd say is physically a mental framework. So I think often we perceive something being harder or worse than it actually is. And I think exercising is a very good example of this. The person you are, for me, it's I'm running in the pandemic. There's just nothing else to do, is the person I am when I walk out of the house is very different than the person I am a mile into a run. For me, about at about a mile, you know, running stops being just just torture and just terrible. And is very different from the person that comes back. When I come back from a run, I am on top of the world. I'm not really fast. I don't run crazy distances. And so I get into a mental state of really trying to focus on how I'm going to feel after I do something as opposed to before you do it. Because, you know, there's so much Mm -hmm. dread sometimes getting into something like a workout and you, you, you kind of play it back and forth in your head. You never regret it. You never come back and say, why did I do that? And so I think reminding yourself of where are you going to be? And one of the tricks I use for myself is I'm just going to run a mile. Like from here, I can run to Stanyan Street and it's not that far. It's mostly flat. And I'll turn around when I get there. I never turn around. You know, I'm just a different person. I'm in the zone. There's a little bit of that runner's high. And so focusing on kind of how you're going to feel afterwards as opposed to before can be helpful. That's great. Well, let's think about a professional who has some challenges associated with entertaining distractions on the computer, be it Twitter, be it Reddit, uh, the news, shopping, checking emails more than is optimal. That's come up a few times. What would be some of your top tips for, for someone looking to make that kind of behavioral shift? It's similar to what I would say with the case safe, with the putting the phone mm-hmm. away. So I use something on my computer called BlockSite. And it blocks the website. So I block Twitter and Reddit and Instagram. I block all of those. And, you know, so if I go to them, there's an additional step. You know, I can say, hey, unblock and you can block them. Put your phone in a different room while you're working. Close the tabs that are not relevant to the work that you're doing. And so a lot of this, at least for me personally, it comes down to like, hey, I'm my own worst enemy. And so how do I build little fences around myself to, to keep me focused? I mean, right now we're recording this, and we're having this conversation and, and, you know, I took a moment before this call to just close out everything or else I'll look at my Slack. I'll be looking at an email that pops up and the neuroscience behind that is very straightforward. Those are powerful little, you know, little, little dopamine hits. And so I think as soon as you're like, oh, I'm going to have the willpower, I'm going to be really like, I'm just going to be really focused because it's a really important thing. I think a lot of that is fantasy. You're going to fall back into the same habits. And so you've got to put some guardrails. So if the phone is distracting you, 
put the phone out of arm's reach, use something like BlockSite, block out the time on the calendar for the heads down work. So I think one of the things that we do that a lot of people, and I've done a lot of this, fail to do from a time management perspective is you're only scheduling, there's only the things on your calendar that involve, you know, okay, I've got, I'm talking to Pete at three o'clock and then I've got a Zoom with my boss or with an investor, whoever it might be. Block out the time you need to catch up on email first thing in the morning and block it out again later in the afternoon and then focus during the day. You're not going to be more than a few hours behind. Close Slack, spend some time getting some work done, open Slack back up. So being very intentional in the work that we do, if you're somebody who's got a hundred different tabs open and you've got every app open all day long, of course, those things are going to distract you. And to the point about self-compassion, can we like zoom way into... All right. These are not helpful things to say to yourself after you've not performed what you wanted to perform. And this is what a, a more compassionate response is. Because I, I think some folks might might think, well, if if I if I'm too easy on myself, I'm I'm just not gonna go through it. Like if, if it's if it's it's fine is my response to to a, a failure, well then will I ever kick it into high gear? So so can I hear some internal dialogue? samples of helpful self-compassion responses to failure and not so helpful responses to failure. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a difference between beating yourself up and being honest with yourself. And so, you know, one, one of the tips that I heard that's been helpful for me that I think is interesting is when you're going through your email, start at the bottom of your email. Start at the email that, you know, has it's been the longest time since you've responded to. Now, I'm not a total email to zero person, but okay, start on the most important thing. That email's been sitting there the longest. If it's something you need to respond to, it's probably more important than the one that just came in, even if the content of the one that just came in is is more important. You have more time on that. And I think the same thing is true for important projects. Like work on the project that's the hardest that you, if you have a little time that you're putting off the most first. And so if there's a really important project that you're procrastinating, you got to be honest with yourself about the fact that, hey, I have to get that done. And if I don't get it done, there's going to be some consequence. But I think the, I'm always this. I'm never Mm -hmm. that. I should be doing this. Somebody who's good at their job wouldn't procrastinate this in the way that I do. So-and-so, you're actually manifesting a particular person. Those kind of feedback loops are going to be actively negative. For me personally, I go to a place of like, screw it, I'm going to give up. If I can't win the game, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play at all. So honest dialogue about yourself with like, okay, if I keep procrastinating that with this, here are the consequences of that. Like the world's not going to end, but there will be consequences. And I'd rather, I'd rather not have to deal with those consequences. But I think the shoulds and the comparing and the always and nevers, I think that's when you know you're getting into a place where you're probably not making progress, an honest and empathetic dialogue with yourself and really looking like, okay, why am I procrastinating this? What is it about it? That's actually going to increase the odds that you complete it. And so then if you aspired to yeah, the New Year's resolution to run a marathon and and you didn't uh, get up for the run, it's not like I always do this. I'm never going to be a runner. I should really be better about getting up early Brent runs amazingly well with great consistency. Why can't I be a winner like him? 
So that's in your your not so great column. But then your your honest conversation about consequences might sound like, you know, well, Pete, this marathon is something that uh, you've been looking forward to. You got some buddies who are, are signed up and jazzed for it and uh, it's going to be a really cool experience. If this keeps happening, you're just not going to be ready for it and, and you won't be able to do it. And it'll be pretty disappointing to have to cancel it. Okay, so what next? <laughs> That's like the honest consequence conversation. Yeah, and then, well, then what next is have an honest conversation with yourself about you know what to do. So, okay, I didn't run today. When is the next running group? If I make that, if I make it to that running group, am I on track? Am I falling too far behind? Do I need to be in a different running group? Am I trying to run early in the morning? I've never been a morning person, and I should actually be. I should actually be doing these runs in the afternoon or the evening or whatever it is. So I think there's a there's an honest assessment of, okay, I might not be in shape to run this marathon if I keep missing these. Is there a way that I can make this easier for myself? Hey, I want Pete to give me a call in the morning or whatever it might be. So I think it's honest assessment of consequences. You don't need there's the beating yourself up is is not going to help. And then the second piece is how do you change things? The system, what about the system needs to change? You need to go to bed earlier. Do you need somebody to give you a ring? Do you need to run at a different time of day, whatever it might be? All right, thank you. Well, Brett, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. No, no. As somebody who has a lot of personal experience with this, I think there's a lot of people who will say behavior change is hard. You can't change. You're not going to change. And I would I would just say that's just not true. You can, it is hard, but it is possible. And so whatever those things are you want to change about your life, as as hard as that can seem to see in the moment, it is possible. It takes time and you gotta focus on it, but it's it's very possible. I actually I actually defy people the opposite. I defy you not to change. So it's a question of of how you're gonna change. Excellent. Thank you. Well, now can you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Oh, I like the man in the arena quote. I mean, I, so I think that's the Teddy Roosevelt quote, and it's, it's too long of a quote for me to remember off the top of my head, but it's basically the substance of the quote is, I'd rather be among the cold, tired, and bloody among us who, who are in the arena and who are trying and who are striving for something, and, I, and maybe I'm defeated, than among the cold and timid souls who know neither victory or defeat. Mm-hmm. So I think putting yourself out there and kind of striving for whatever you want. That's where the glory and the greatness is. And, you know, victory or defeat is secondary. All right. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? The things that are top of mind for me right now are, it's just been so shocking to me as I dig in, having seen this in my own life, and then looking at behavior attribution, basically a behavior change in health outcomes. And so like 15 or 20% of health outcomes can be attributed to medical care. And it's 50% 50% plus to behavior. Um, and that's been so striking to me because I think we, in a perfect world in the future, you get a prescription for a drug that's going to help you. And then next to that, you're getting a prescription for things you need to change that you can change in your behavior that can help you improve. And so a lot of the stats and kind of the impact of behavior change have just been, they're top of mind for me right now, obviously, as I'm spending so much time thinking about this. And a favorite book? This changes for me a lot. My favorite books are adventure books. And so The Spirit of St. Louis is a book about Lindbergh and his flight across the Atlantic. It's just really well-written. But if you like the adventure stories, there's a story of called Endurance, which is about Shackleton and this crazy survival story down in Antarctica. And so I love those, uh, I love those adventure survival stories. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? 
Currently, my favorite tool is I have two phones and I have one phone that's just totally dialed down and doesn't have any apps on it. And I've grayscaled the background. And the more I'm carrying that around, because you can just swap the SIMs I have on my keychain a little, basically like a little kind of needle. It's a SIM swapper that'll pull your SIM out. And that's been remarkably helpful for me having a phone that's just very basic. You know, I'm a dad, so I've got to be reachable, but just just really doesn't have much. It allows me to focus. Cool. And a favorite habit. You've got so many. Heat therapy is sitting in a sauna, is sweating. And so that for in my own personal data set has the highest correlation with with me feeling good. And so there's a whole bunch of interesting science around the health benefits of sitting in a sauna at a in a hot dry room basically and sweating. And so I think that's my favorite. I also think it's top of mind for me now because it's I haven't been able to do it. I don't, you know, I don't have a sauna in my home. And is there a particular nugget you share that seems to connect and resonate with folks that quote it back to you frequently? I think one of the things I spend a lot of time talking about is that, you know, there aren't that many real rules in life. And so I think there's a set of ethics that we all want to live by. I mean, I want to be honest. I want to be I want to be ethical. But a lot of the rules, you know, you got to you got to take X, Y, Z path if you if you want to do this or you want to do that. Like there are a bunch of different ways to skin a cat. And so I think a lot of the quote unquote rules are, are self-imposed. And so I think thinking creatively about multiple paths to the to the same place has been really helpful for me. And and I encourage others to do the same. I mean, my I haven't had the most amazing career ever. I haven't had the worst career ever, but I don't, I took a different path. I dropped, I was kicked out. I couldn't tell you whether or not I graduated from high school and here I am in Silicon Valley running technology companies. And so don't impose unnecessary rules on yourself. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? Oh, look, you can email me. I'm Brent at Most Days. You can come join us in the Most Days community. If you're trying to change your behavior, we will. We've got a supportive community of people who are trying to do this. But yeah, reach out. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah. I mean, the challenge I would give anybody is change something about the structure of the way that you work, change something about the structure of the way that you live your life and see what happens. All right. Brent, it's been a pleasure. Thank you and and great luck with most days and your adventures. Yeah, thanks, Pete. I loved so much of what Brent had to say with regard to the spreadsheets and the social support and particularly how you talk to yourself when you've screwed up to not just quit, say, oh, forget it, I've blown it, it's all over, I always do this, I'm lame, I'm a loser, I can never get it together. No, no, no. Being real, being honest, but not harsh. Tomorrow is a new day. No need to beat yourself up. Great stuff from Brent. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP655. You can find my own most days routine and community on the app by visiting awesomeatyourjob.com slash most days. That'd be fun to see you there. Some routine there on how to achieve more and enjoy more of your work. And I hope to catch you for the next episode. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. 
Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.